three, two, one. Happy, Happy New Year! Hello and welcome to episode 74 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. All of us here at S2S would like to wish you all a very, very happy new year as we do a bit of a 2020 season in review show today. So on behalf of Chris Christian, sound engineer Wilton and myself, I'd like to welcome you all to the show. Thank you for joining us. Boys, how you been? How was your Christmas? Yeah, you know what? Christmas was good. Low key. It's really easy. My sister lives in Solvang and, you know, both my parents have passed on. So I got to I get to hang out with my wife's family for Christmas and that's it. You know, so it's no drama, no splitting houses. It's very uh, easy for me. Uh, Kids are spoiled, as always. And, you know, good food. What about you guys? Can't complain. We moved into this new place last year with the hopes of hosting both families. So to limit, not the drama, but just limit the travel between two places. And because of COVID, we kind of just hunkered down. All families are kind of isolated because people are working and we have a newborn. It was very much virtual. They both delivered delicious food to us. And overall, it was great. Little Baby X got um, plenty of gifts. Uh, we ate plenty of food, so I can't complain. Apart from that, being able to physically be with people, it was a good Christmas. Nice, nice. So I uh, you know, obviously worked all the way up Christmas Eve. Christmas Day I had off, but I was so exhausted from a month worth of retail chaos that pretty much just slept all day, Zoom call with the family. I had to get up early to Zoom call with the family because we're a little bit spread out all over the globe. I got a brother in China, a sister in France, a sister in New York, my parents in NorCal. So uh, it was nice. We got to get together, chat it up. And then I went straight back to sleep and I slept most of the day, got up, had a, a nice Christmas dinner with Mandy and her fam. And then you know, right at it, back to work again. So, you know, getting ready for New Year's Eve, crazy, sparkling wine, popping bubbles, stores busy, got to take all them decorations down, get ready right away for big champagne holiday. And then, you know, once uh, we finally now get to the other side of the dateline, and thank goodness, 2020 behind us, ah, 2021, we can now take take a deep breath and relax. So I'm excited to uh, move onward with hopefully a new shoe, new luck, as we like to say here in 2021 and hopefully things take take a turn for the better we know it's going to take a bit of uh, some dark times here at the onset of 2021 before we get to the light at the end of the tunnel here but hopefully that comes soon we've been hearing some some rumors on the way about how lafc might open the new season what that might look like we'll touch on that a little bit later we know that there are definitely some rumored signings out there in the world of lafc so we'll touch a little bit on that uh, and we'll kind of go through and give our evaluation of how we thought the team performed last year in 2020. What are some of the big holes we need to fill going into this offseason and what some of our dream signings would be? So, boys, in looking at the 2020 season as a whole, we sort of recapped our finals performance and the Champions League, as well as our playoff performances on the last episode. But taking a step back and taking a much bigger picture at it. How would you guys look at LAFC's 2020 season as a whole? Uh, so, Chris, why don't we start with you? Why don't you give us your ideas on what you felt 2020 as a whole was for this, the third year of the Los Angeles Football Club on the pitch? Okay, so I would say, obviously, 
the team didn't do as well as they did last year. And the way we finished was definitely very exciting. So I think that if you were to look at everything as a body of work and take into the fact that Carlos didn't play for half the season, internationals, COVID, the Black Lives Matter movement and postponing of games, travel restrictions, having to play the same teams over and over and over and not really seeing any kind of competition from the East Coast. I honestly would say that LAFC had like a B plus, you know, it it wasn't, we didn't walk away with any hardware, but we were competitive and we underplayed at key moments, not finishing it off in the playoffs for the MLS's back and having to go to penalties. You can't really, can't really hold that against LAFC, not being able to play our best football against Seattle when we had four of our starters not able to play because of COVID. You know, that's not to necessarily say if we had those four players that we would have won, guaranteed, no doubt, but it would have been a better game and it would have been more competitive. So can you really fault LAFC? And then when to see them play uh, and beat three Liga MX teams, granted the last three games were single game elimination. So there wasn't the home and away, there wasn't the away crowds and any other factors like that. I think that LAFC did well, given the uh, circumstances, and and it's encouraging to see what we have for next year, provided everyone can stay healthy and be able to participate in all the games. Senor Aparicio, your thoughts on the 2020 season as a whole, sir? Sure. I'll start with my letter grade would be a B minus, and you know, in LA, at least for LAFC, the expectation the very minimum to get like a c c minus for me at least is making the playoffs so we did that right and it would it was a funky year but the way i feel at the end of this year is kind of how i felt the end of 2019 going into 2020 where very good core very hopeful that you know we had the mvp on our team and that this would be the year right life had other plans COVID happened but i think that at times, I wasn't happy with what Thorrington did and dealing Zimmerman. Obviously, it proved to be a big hole that was we were unable to fill, especially with the market, the transfer market being different because of COVID. And then it just seemed like we didn't have a short-term solution, which I think the team suffered for during the season, trying to fill that hole. Injuries, uh, COVID-positive tests at the wrong time. We're part of it, but also, you know, I know Bob is a four-three-three guy and doesn't want to change. But I think if he would have been pragmatic at times, we would have saved more points and maybe had another game before we had to potentially face a more difficult team. You know, but that's hindsight twenty-twenty. But also, we know that Bradley isn't going to make any of these tactical changes because he believes in the system, he believes in development, he believes in his team, and it's a pro and con of his. And I think. The reason I gave him a B minus, right, is because he was able to show the potential that we all thought the team had in the CONCACAF Champions League and getting us into a final, right? That is something that we hadn't done yet in a tournament. We had reached a semifinal and lost last year, which was the Western Conference final. This year, we were able to knock down some of the better teams in Liga MX, get to a final, but we were short and the opportunity that we had. Uh, and I, I know the last episode I mentioned that for this to happen again, to get into the Champions League, is not going to be easy. There's going to be more teams year after year. After the next few years, I think the league will get to 32 at one point. It's going to be only four teams to get through into Champions League. Although I did hear they might expand it in 2022. So 
more to come on that. There was an announcement after the Champions League from CONCACAF and expanding it to be similar to the Champions League in Europe. And for it to be here in the U.S. and not home in a way, like we squandered that and we were the better team for 70 minutes. So I think there is just one more step mentally that we need to take. I think the team is still really young and I'm hopeful about this core, but I think Rossi might be gone and we might lose some goals or offensive threats. So all in all, this is why I give it a B minus. Made the playoffs and we finally showed how good we could be, but we still fell short. So B minus is what I'm giving Bob Bradley and LAFC and Thornton. All right, so you guys are kind of firmly in the B camp here. I'm going to go so far as to give them an A minus. And, and here's why I think they deserve a little better than y'all gave them credit for. And frankly, it's for the exact same reasons, right? MLS is back tournament. We lose the golden boot winner. We lose the MVP. Other teams would absolutely fall apart. The system was so good. Rossi still came out with the golden boot. Yes, Chris, as you mentioned, look, it went to PKs. We lost in PKs. Anyone can lose in PKs. You know, the team did a good, solid run and more importantly, trashed Carson in that tournament. Right. So, I mean, something to be extremely proud of coming out of the MLS's back tournament. We lost our best player and still advanced, lost on PKs and more importantly, beat Carson. Right. We get into the regular season and the regular season was a massive bag of up and downs. People getting quarantined, teams getting sick, you know, civil rights movements causing stops to games. I mean, it was uh you know, not to mention all the things that are going on with COVID and bubbles and out of the bubbles and other teams getting sick and players worried about, you know, not how they're going to perform on the pitch that day, but worried whether or not they're going to come home with a deadly virus and spread it to their families. And, you know, I mean, under all of that, it made the playoffs. You know, obviously we got bounced in the playoffs in a situation that, frankly, the deck was stacked against us. You take 44% of the starting team out, 40% of the starting team out. That's, you know, that's not doing anyone any good, right? We, we had very little chance of beating Seattle without those players. I know everyone wants to say, oh, the system, the depth, you have to do that. You have to go out and play the game. So be it. With four players out, we were never going to win that game. Let's be honest. Against a Seattle team that is arguably one of the best teams in MLS history, right? I mean, the numbers that they have put up are just astounding. Then we get to CCL. Nobody expects us to win game one. We win multiple games. We advance to a final. Let's be honest, getting to a CCL final is statistically harder than winning an MLS Cup. An MLS team wins the MLS Cup every single year. Has to, right? Advancing to the finals, not guaranteed for an MLS team. A very difficult thing to do. No, I was going to say, and to, I was gonna say, to your point, too, there's only been four of them, right? In all the years in the uh, since this tournament, to your point about the how hard it is. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's extremely hard. But go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. but Yeah, I just, you know, to wrap it up, I would say that in all that we accomplished, we fell to the team of the decade in Liga Emekis by 20 minutes at the end because they had a deeper bench and some subs that weren't available to us and a ridiculous red card on a twist. And, you know, the other what have you's that went into that entire CCL run. So in, in every situation, we were dealt a really rough hand, whether it was officiating, whether it was the health and wellness of the team, whether it was the availability of players. And yet we still advanced in every single one of those competitions. Did we get silverware? No. But to be honest, without your whole team, I think what we accomplished to me, A minus, given all of those factors, right? 
if we just look at X's and O's, wins and losses, yes, I could see the argument for a B. But I, I have to take what is going on outside the bubble into account for me. And I really think the team overperformed given all of those setbacks. Still not what we had hoped and dreamed for. But I have to be incredibly proud of the team and what they accomplished in 2020. I, I'm going to go ahead and go A- minus on it. I mean, we all, I think, brought up what happened, right? And how we feel about it. So the averages are kind of, if you take all three of us as a B, I would take that, right? For 2020, I agree with you. The team performed as best they could in, in the moments that they were able to compete. I just think maybe the CCL loss opportunity left kind of a bitter taste in my mouth. And uh, I think we had the team to win the, the match if we were just a little bit smarter and had a little bit more experience. But that'll come with time. Like, like I've said in other podcasts, I was ready to suffer for five years with this team. And from year one, they were competitive. And in a way, you know, we're spoiled. And I know there's a lot of criticisms of Bob Bradley and John Thorrington, but they've also set these expectations for the entire fan base and supporter culture. We have something to root for and we expect to win because of the foundation that they've laid and the players they've brought in. So it just does feel unfortunate that, you know, this year was taken away with away from us in multiple facets to all of us. And one of them was the sporting and entertainment and what we expected to have the club perform like. But I think we all brought up fair points. It's just, I think we have different feelings of how the season ended, probably. You, you know, uh, Steve Evans, who's in the LAFC fans community chat, or the uh, LAFC fans Facebook page, I mean, he came out with a pretty long response, I guess, to the people that were upset about the finals loss. And pretty much in it, you know, he's a big uh, Wolverhampton fan. And he had just talked about how he'd been a fan for like 40 years. And in the 40 years that he'd been a fan, they'd only recently had like a, a pretty good season because now they're playing in the EPL and, uh, you know, the number of championships that they've won. And, and he's he kind of put it in perspective for anyone that is a LAFC fan in the sense that, you know, we've only been around for three years and we have one piece of hardware. Potentially, we were about to have a second one. We were 20 minutes away from having a second one. And I think that because we had won so early on that now all of a sudden people just expect success every season. And if you don't have a successful season with a piece of hardware or a uh, CCL berth or records being broken, it's looked at as a failed season, a wasted season, a missed opportunity. And that's unfortunate because I don't really think that outside of five or six clubs in the world, I don't see any clubs that are like that, you know? 100% agree with that. So in looking at our upcoming off-season ahead, if you were getting a holiday present from Mr. John Thorrington here, I want you guys to look at this team, pick three spots that you feel we need a signing. Tell me which one of those three spots you're going to spend Tam Gam on, which one of those three spots you're looking for mid-level talent, and which one of those three spots you might be looking to the draft to fill? Okay, well, three spots is goalkeeper, center back, and if we get rid of Diego, a striker. I would want my big splash. You know, it's hard. Uh, Vince had said in um, one of his uh, Instagram instant reaction 
after a match, he had talked, somebody was saying that we need to get a DP in as a center back. And he was like, go ahead and tell me a DP that's ever worked out in the MLS ever. That's a uh, center back. He's like, I'll wait. Cause it doesn't, he's like, you know, there, there's no benefit to buying and spending all this money. You know, Virgil van Dyke is not coming, knocking on our door to uh, come play for LAFC. Right. So, I mean, and I don't know, like, is a big splash Tam Gam money for a goalkeeper? Is that, like, a waste of money? You know, I don't know. I don't know what the market is for stuff like that. But I would say that our goalie and a center back are two biggest holes that need to be filled. I think if we keep Mario and we have Segura, and I think that that's something that we can keep afloat for another season. See how Mario and Segura jive together. But, uh... So I guess goalkeeper, my biggest one that we would want to spend the most amount of money on to get somebody to come in. I think that we have a lot of people. You know, Masovsky stepped up as a striker. Vela, if Rodriguez is still here, and uh, Mahala, those are all guys that I could see us, you know, finding ways to kind of recreate Rossi in the aggregate. But I would still want to have a striker. You know, maybe we could take a a chance on a, a younger player that's unknown defense and goalies for me for me i think we spend the big money a central striker that's what we someone that's dependable someone in their prime they're from south america mexico europe that's assuming diego leaves right if diego doesn't leave i think we can do without that uh where i would spend time and game would be goalkeeper i think we spent that kind of money on vermeer and i don't think he 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 was worth the money so i don't know how long that contract was but I hope it wasn't multiple years. I think hopefully it was like a a one year with a team option of some sort. So because I don't think he's worth the money. I think Cisniega is a he's a decent keeper and for the money. I think you know he he can stay, and we get an established goalkeeper from a different league for the Tam Gam. And then in terms of utility, I think we need backup either on the right or left back because I, we know that El Munir isn't going to be back probably i know that harvey's probably retiring so chiki's not going to have a backup and then i think with having murillo segura and uh, blackman we have a rotation of three center backs blackman can play right right back so then he's going to need a backup so that's kind of what i I need and then if we keep diego but someone like a twista leaves i think we need we need someone in the central central midfield and that's kind of my flex I guess if we if we need to adjust depending on who moves, and I assume that Diego's going to move though, that is what I think is going to happen. So just so you know, uh, Kenneth Ramirez's contract expires December thirty first of twenty twenty two. So I thought it was a three year deal. Yeah, we've got him for two more years. Not that he isn't a movable asset. I think there are teams that would take him. I definitely think that not after would this have... year. Oof, yeah. Well, yeah, he did have a bit of a rough year for sure. I don't know if all the stuff going around the internet is really, you know, worthy of its salacious content about him being the quote unquote worst uh, keeper of the year. I don't, I don't think that's fair at all. No, I don't disagree with you on that. Like, I think, I just don't think he, he provides a type of security for the type of game we play. Right. Like yeah. you, you want a really good sweeper keeper someone that is more firm in his decision or like the back line has confidence in him. Like I still go back to that goal the first goal that came off of that corner, if he is a more firm leader or goalkeeper that the backline has confidence in, he goes and kicks through his defenders and, you know, 
kind of commands the back line. And I don't think that's happening. I think Murillo has more leadership and he's the most recent acquisition. And that's not a good thing. You want your keeper to be part of that voice back there where, you know, you're a center back, you're a midfielder, and you look back, you're like, yeah, we got our keeper back there. He's going to handle things. But I don't get that feeling that the team has that feeling towards him. And obviously the supporters and the fans don't have that either because, you know, they're not blind. I'm going to go ahead and agree with you guys. I do think goalkeeper is an area that we need to address. However, I am going to completely disagree on that being where the money should go this offseason. I definitely think if you look at how much keepers are making across this league, Liga Amekis, and, and some comparative leagues around the world, you do not have to spend the kind of money we are currently spending in order to get better results than we're currently getting. So to me, I would probably ship out one of Cisniega or Vermeer, depending on who gives me the best offer for what. And I'm going to keep the other as my starting keeper. Because I think both of them are capable of doing it next season. And then I would probably spend the least amount of money and maybe even go to the draft uh, in order to get that backup keeper, that third string keeper, and, and if we can't sign somebody in as well too. But I just don't think that spending a ton of money on keeper makes the best sense for LAFC. Where I would like to see them spend money personally for me is in a defensive midfielder. I think that's something that we have really lacked. Atuesta is an amazing offensive midfielder. He brings the ball forward incredibly well. Nothing against him defensively, but I want a little bit of an old school mentality in there in my defensive midfielder. I'm looking for somebody who's a little taller, bigger, stronger. It's not, you know, going to back down from the physical game. When LAFC starts getting pushed around, doesn't necessarily always need to be our center backs that come in and get chippy, uh, as we've seen uh, Mario and Segura both do this year. But you don't want them on yellows because they're matching the physicality of the game. You won't be able to be able to pocket that tactical yellow for when they need it. I'd rather we have the midfielder that's willing to go out there and get a little chippy in the game. And that, frankly, is where I think it's going to be the hardest to find somebody without spending TAMGAM level money in order to get a proper defensive midfielder. And so those, to me, would be the two major goals. I definitely think that someone for the outside back positions as backup is going to be important as well, too. And so that's probably where I would spend mid-level talent. I don't think we're selling in the winter window. I really think we're going to wait till the summer transfer window to do the majority of our business like we've seen in previous years. So I think the odds of a Raito or a Rossi shipping out are going to be more likely come this summer once we have a more accurate realization of what in-stadium fan presence is going to look like. And I think some of those European clubs are going to be splashing a little bit more money when it gets closer to the time where we're seeing proper fans in the stadium, which, you know, fingers crossed this summer is going to be. I don't think the onset of the season with many teams still likely playing in closed stadiums in lockdown countries and regions, especially with finances being as they are for many of these teams, I just think it's better business for L.A. to wait till the summer. So I think we're going to keep all of our DPs, well, certainly Vela, but I think we're going to be keeping the rest of those core talent together through this offseason. And so that's personally where, where I would like to see that money spent. If I had uh, my Christmas present from Mr. Thornton, it would be that defensive midfielder, a real powerhouse there in order to uh, 
you know, let a twist and let the outside backs get forward and know that they have someone behind them who can clean up business if they need to. So to me, that would be kind of kind of where I would go on it. But uh, nice to see that we all had kind of differing differing opinions on that yeah. as we go around. I have a theory based on what you just said, but I'll wait for the rumors to bring up that point. So speaking of which, why don't we dive right into that? So speaking of rumored signings, we have one that seems like it's the real deal. One that is a reoccurring rumor that we shamelessly may have been a part of uh, 10 months ago. Uh, and then we have a couple other extreme rumors that are always floating around that are fun this time of year as it gets into silly season. But why don't we go ahead and start with Moon Kwa, who looks like he is going to be coming to us uh, from Korea. So definitely shout out to our friends at TSG. I know there's a lot of people in the LAFC community who would be very, very excited, especially within the greater Los Angeles area, to see a Korean player on our team. A word on the street is that he might even have a run-in for starting 11 with his national team as well, too. So his signing is one that, and all of the videos have been going around online, of, of that absolute screamer of a goal from like 35 yards out. So your initial thoughts to the report that a four-year deal pending a medical is going to be announced sometime within the next week. And our luck, it'll be right before the show comes out and this will all be a moot point. But your thoughts on that rumored signing? I mean, I'm happy about it. Like I said, we either need a starter or a backup, right? And someone's going to have to be the backup on the right side. He looks like he's very much offensive minded, which is something that I'm sure Bob likes. I hope his defensive ability or ability to track back uh, is proven, having you know him become a LAFC player but what i would say is my theory is based off of him right so and what i mean by that is if he becomes our starting right back that means that i feel like blackman and bradley have fancied him being a starting center back and if that is kind of part of the plans then i think segura is kind of the flex and potentially not the starter but i feel like bob has done this and turned defenders or wingers into center mids right so this old school defensive minded midfield that you're talking about that i think we need a gritty person in there because it also has vision and a long range passing and short rate passing ability could be him he wouldn't be as creative but he would be a true destroyer there and he could be kind of in front of our two center backs so then we have a really solid spine and then if we keep a twesla there who's more creative minded and then it would be either sifu or latif as a third midfielder, I think we have a very solid midfield with either Sifu Latif. Don't and, forget uh, about K either. To, to me, honestly, it makes me sad about this, but K is no longer a starter on this team. I think the youngsters have come and kind of pushed them out a little bit. And uh, I think he's going to be a solid backup. If we're going to have a deep squad where we have two teams, we definitely need him. But I think he's he's been on the decline this last year for me and it's been tough because he's had injuries so maybe next year he proves me wrong and i hope so but i would fancy having segura atuesta and c4 latif in there versus having him in there and part of it is um his defensive grit is good but i think sometimes his going forward ability isn't great or his finishing when he gets into the final third isn't great or his final ball isn't great granted he gave that sweet pass to Rossi for the goal, but I almost felt like surprised. And I, that's, you know, when the ball got there. And that's not the feeling I get when a Twessa does something, right? So, I mean, that's my two cents. And that's where I think kind of if we if we sign Kim Moon Kwan 
I think it could lead to this, and we still need a backup on the right. That it could be kind of a inexpensive draft or minimum type salary player that we can get there to fill in the holes with having Blackman and Segura to be able to shift into those positions. So that's my theory, and that's why I'm excited about Kim Moon-Hwan because I think this kind of gives us this flexibility of moving Segura and having a more solid defensive middle area of the pitch. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that theory. Uh, amigo Correano, te eres angelino, right? Welcome, dude. I'm all for it. Did I do that right? Was that close? Was that close? All right, good. That was good, um, all right. Uh, I, I do definitely think I, I owe Mark Anthony K an apology. Very sorry. I know in the last episode, I, I went a little dark gringo. You know, maybe it was my exposure to the FCFC pod the week before. I had some dark dweez in me. I had to get it out. But no, uh, I think we we kind of laid into him a little bit on the last show, and we did not give him proper credit for the assist he had in our goal. So thank you for mentioning that. And uh, uh, Mac, we love you. I'm sorry. Uh, I know you don't listen to the show anyway, but even if you did listen to the show, I would uh, I would still apologize to you for for taking it out on your last episode. I'm sorry, we we're in a dark place. It hurt, okay? We were in pain. But I mean, as far as um, Kim and Kwan signing, I'm really excited about this. Uh, any signing that makes the community happy in Periphery has that extra little gravy on top of awesomeness to it. Plus, you know, 25 years old, still young, still some time to develop. Whether or not he stays uh, at the outside back position or transitions to midfield is something I hadn't particularly thought of, but is an interesting and intriguing sort of angle to that that you bring to this, Christian. But I'm oh, just sorry. excited. A little new blood. He stays on the outside and the right. But I think it causes Segura to shift because Blackman goes into the to center back to the midfield. So, I mean, if he goes into the midfield, great. But I think it will shift Segura to be right in front of Murillo and Blackman. Segura's played defensive midfielder before, has he not, at his previous club? So I think he has some experience there, if I remember correct. So I, I definitely think that's a possibility. A lot of people have claimed, and frankly, from my vantage point, uh, through two tiny little eye slots and way up behind a chain-link fence, my exposure to much of the game in Leon was not a very tactical observation of the game. But I keep hearing people say that we played a 4-1-3-2 in that game. For those of you who watched it on TV that weren't part of the insanity of being down there, I was sort of curious if, do you think that that was merely just a 4-3-3 in a different stage of advancement, and that's how we were just playing phases of the game? Or do you think that that was an actual tactical decision to go 4-1-3-2 and something that could hint at what Bob might do if he had different personnel? Uh, I think the 4-3-3 can become that defensively if, if we're kind of defending in a mid-block, right? So your deepest defending midfielder kind of stays in front of your center backs. And then that also means your central striker drops down, right? So it almost becomes that. But when we had the ball, it was a 4-3-3, and we lined up as a 4-3-3. I think we were just not pressing in the same way because... We got scored on at times in that game. So we weren't being as aggressive at times during that game. So it could seem that way, but it was a variation of a 4-3-3, I would say. If you really look at the field while they're playing, you can call out different formations that um, players have tendencies. And then depending on where the team is attacking, it'll shift the way we're pressing. So it can always look different than a 4-3-3 that is on the paper at the onset of a, of a match. And no means am I claiming that this is my observation. I admittedly did not observe this, right? From my vantage point, you couldn't make out much of what was going on in the game. But 
I've just heard it from multiple sources now that people were so shocked that that happened. And so hearing it from a lot of people whose opinions I find reputable about their you know tactical analysis of the game. So I was curious to hear if, if you thought that might be an option where if we lose a DP striker and we don't necessarily replace that person right away, it also could be based on the roster machinations as they take place over the course of next season, especially if we're talking about employing a summer transfer window, which is in the middle of our season, which can be somewhat detrimental to, to the outcome of the season. Employing something like a four-one-three-two, if we end up losing someone up top and are employing someone new in the midfield. Could be interesting to see how that pans out. I was more curious to hear your thoughts on that. Chris, I don't think we've heard your thought on the Moon Kwan signing. What you think about, have you watched any of the video on him? What do you think about him coming in? You know, honestly, I know I, I haven't had a chance to to take a look at it, but I share the same sentiment that you have, Jonathan, where, you know, we do have a large faction of Korean fans with LAFC. And I think that this is definitely something that will resonate with those fans. And even, you know, I, I mean, there's the, the videos, right, of um, Sun when uh, Sun came to the uh, rally and there was the district nine guys and the TSG guys. And it was, you know, there is, there is that uh, mutual respect that Mexican fans have of Korean fans. And that was all based off of uh, the world cup. Right. So, you know, it, uh, I think it's, I think it's a good selection of, of a player. Uh, you know, we do need a player at that position and I, I just hope he does well. Like you said, he's still young Um you know, and I, I don't know enough about the Korean League and their level of competitiveness and what that would be comparable to if it's at the level of MLS or a little bit better, a little bit less. I don't know, you know, so I, I don't even know if I were to watch any footage, what I'd really be able to evaluate, you know? Yeah, okay, I'm a little double salty about that because not only did you bring up Spurs, but you also brought up the two teams that beat Germany in the last World Cup. So I don't know why you're making this personal about me, buddy. Bro, why you got to come even, after me like that? You're not even German, bro. You just found this out. <laughs> Funny thing is, oh. what do you think of the footage? Yeah, no, right. I'm, I'm very sorry. I, I thought uh, I shared that in our group chat. I'm sorry. I must have been lost in the haze of the last month here. But he did score an absolute screamer from about 35 yards out that's probably the most prolific clip that's going around but there's a couple of his tactical videos out there that various people have shared and i've definitely pondered at it a little bit i think you know look again 25 years old still very young we don't really know exactly what system he was playing over there i certainly haven't watched that much footage so how he's going to adapt to bob's system as yet to be seen we shall see I definitely think the signing looks pretty cool as far as the optics go. And if the player is anything like those few clips I've seen, it's going to be epic. But we know it's probably going to be some tempered expectations on top of that as well, too. So it'll be exciting to see if that addition pans out. So I want to go ahead and move on to the next rumored signing. Uh, one that we were all convinced was joining this club at the beginning of the 2020 season. But now it looks like it might become a possibility in the 2021 season. Uh, joining us from LAFC's farm team in Peñarol, uh, <laughs> Fecundo Torres looks like he could be once again rumored to join LAFC, although there are also some European rumors out there. And it seems for every one person pushing that rumor, there's another person stifling it. But there seems to be a lot of smoke 
which means there could be some fire to the idea uh, of Fecundo Torres joining us from Peñarol. So what are your thoughts? We know that we saw him during some of the preseason matches. Uh, some of the media people that got to go and watch were very high on him. When we interviewed Andrew Medina on this show, he was talking to us. I feel that it was before or after the recording. He was talking to us about how well he had played and his hopes that he signs with the team. So what are your guys' thoughts on the possibility of us going to that old Peñarol pipeline again for Facundo Torres? I think that he comes if and only if Diego or Aito leaves, right? Um, because he's a winger, right? He plays on the left side. So it doesn't make sense to essentially have three players in that same position. He is a left footer. So, I mean, he could play centrally, hopefully, or on the right side. But then that's where Vela is, unless Vela becomes a false nine. So it doesn't make sense to sign him, which is why I feel like he wasn't signed at the beginning of this 2020 season. Because then you essentially have Rossi, who is, no, that's his position because he's won it. He's the most efficient. He scored. He was a Golden Boot winner this year. Rayito really that his position as well, but because we have two players that play there, it forces us to kind of play uh, the three players that interchange when all three of our DPs are playing. And then if we sign him, then we have a surplus of Uruguayan left wingers for whatever reason. So uh, until one of those two DPs is sold, I don't think this rumor will be something that happens, which is why if that rumor is coming up again, I feel like, Rossi will probably leave this winter. So, uh, but that's 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 me trying to read the tea leaves. Um, if he's a good player, I mean, Peñarol has not disappointed by and large. I think technically Raito came less able than Rossi. Rossi was more technically able and came as a better finisher. I think athletically Raito's better, but he's not technically a good finisher or has a good first touch at all times. So I'm hoping that we're able to develop Rayito after Rossi leaves. He can take that spot and we have Facundo kind of be a game changer and then figure out the front three if that is what ends up being the the player that we signed. Chris, your thoughts on Facundo Torres? You know, it's hard it's hard to evaluate, you know, all of these because a lot of these players might come from leagues that I don't watch normally, you know, and uh, so... You know, you catch someone's highlight reel, and, I mean, he, he looks good. He has a lot of ability. We saw him earlier in the this season. But I also feel like Christian makes a great point that we're not going to sign him if there's not a position available for him, you know. And it's not like he'll be cheap. He'll, he's going to be an expensive signing. So I think a couple of things have to happen in order for that player to come. But it'll be a lot of fun especially when you get players that have chemistry with each other already and you bring them in it, it it's not as much of a transition. I feel so hypothetical. What if you were to swap right now on the roster, Facundo Torres for Brian Rodriguez, would you take that or would you prefer to keep Raito? No, I would keep Raito. And the, my mine is more of a conservative reasoning is you know, I have a motto of a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. You know, I know what Brian Rodriguez can do. I, even though he doesn't put up as many points as Rossi or Vela, I feel like when he is in and he's fit, he 
has a lot of assists. He puts the ball in play well. He has a lot of really good runs, and I think he fits in well with what we are asking him to do right now. Um, so just to play devil's advocate, what if one more season with LAFC brings Raito's price down? What if he can't stay healthy? He continues to struggle to find the back of the net, and he takes a step backward in that assist game in total that we saw from him in 2020, and we lose value in him by keeping him as opposed to selling him. Just just to play devil's advocate. Uh, well, you could play it the other way. So I agree with a, a burn the ham situation, meaning that if we get a good offer, you sell them on, right? Because, and I agree with you, Jonathan, like I, I haven't seen that much progression from him since he came, right? And I don't know what it is. It could be the system because the Uruguay national team and Peñarol play of a, more of a counter-attacking system, meaning that he gets more through balls and he's dribbling in. He's not receiving the ball, trying to create off the dribble when for the people in front of him, right? He is giving the ball over the defense and then going in that way. And that's not how we play. So to me, it's a system thing that doesn't match his skill set at this point. And he hasn't developed in the way that Rossi developed over two years. So word in the hand meaning that there's teams in Europe that play that way and have offered. And if we can get a good offer, we sell them on. And I just checked transfer market and looks like at this point in time, Facundo is worth his transfer market value is less than a million dollars. Like I, I would take that risk. If Bob thinks he can develop him, even make five to eight million in a couple of years, you know, you double your money, right? Assuming we keep fifty percent. So I think the I think, rumor I heard was in the neighborhood of two to three million dollars for Torres, okay. somewhere between two and three mil. Okay. Well, I mean, then you think about it a little bit more. But I think Rayito, if we get a really good offer from Europe, we sell him on because I it could be a style thing with Bob honestly, and the system here. And I think he can thrive. He has all of the natural skill sets, but I don't see a big incremental development next year that will increase his market value. What do you say, all right, Jonathan? So uh, I say sell Raito, take 20% of what you sold Raito for, invest that in Facundo Torres, and I would be happy. However, if the sell-on price for Raito is too low and the asking price for Torres is too high, uh, then I'm I'm less inclined to be happy about that deal. But right now, if Raito were to sell for, you know, let's just say north of 16 million, and we were able to get Torres for less than 3 million, and the team is able to pocket 13 mil and swap Raito for Torres right now, I'd probably be okay with that, even knowing that we might be taking a slight step back on the pitch. Uh, we have another player with the potential to sell later on down the road. And anytime someone wants to give us good money for a player, I think we should be listening to those conversations. That only helps us get the next player. I think yes. selling a Raito and making that money convinces a Torres to come join our team because he says, okay, LAFC can get me to Europe. Now, let me ask you guys this. Is there a scenario where our opening day roster for next year doesn't have Raito or Diego on it? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that's that's 100% dollars. If two teams come in with separate offers for each one of them, that's just insane. You're going to take those offers. Frankly, if anyone even came in with a high offer, not even an insane offer, but just a respectably high offer, I think the team's going to jump on either one of those options at this point. You know, I mean, we love our ownership. Our ownership is great. 
We know that ownership is, uh, you know, about to enter some murky waters with the MLSPA, and we might touch on that here in a second. But ownership across the board lost, I think someone quoted earlier today, about $562 million in season ticket sales were lost by the MLS owners this year. Plus all the concession and parking and merchandise and all that. We're talking about north of a billion dollars that the teams did not get a chance to make this year. So if we're going to be talking about going out and spending money on defensive mids and keepers and strikers, that money is not coming from ticket sales, concessions, merch, all that other stuff where the team's generating money. That money's got to come from somewhere. So, I mean, we got to sell some players off. And, and yes, that's a bummer. But I think if the right money comes in for Rossi and Raito, yes, absolutely, you sell both, even if you don't have the next signing lined up. And this team has already proven that if someone comes in with an exceptional offer, we will trade a key piece of our team out without a noticeable backup. Hello, Walker Zimmerman a year ago, right? So we've already seen this happen. So it wouldn't surprise me if it happened again, where if the right offer came in, even if we don't have a suitable lineup ready to go, we're going to take that money. That's, that's could, a business. I could see a scenario where if COVID wasn't occurring and the transfer market was healthy like it normally was, I could see us not starting our new season with, we'd have no Rossi, no Brian Rodriguez, and no Latif. I could see all three of those signings not being part of our team next year if we had a healthy market. Yeah, and a happy belated <laughs> birthday to Latif Blessing as well, too, while we're on the subject. But... I could absolutely see that yeah. being the case if the finances were different. But if the finances were different, LAFC would have a lot more money as well, too. And we might be looking at a whole different situation as far as what we could go out and acquire. Thankfully, we have a diverse and wealthy ownership that's been shown, at least, they're willing to invest in this team. So that's definitely a positive. Let's get on to the absolute lock signing. We know it's about to be announced any second now. You might have heard of him. His name is... I believe it's pronounced Lionel Misai, um, who apparently uh, plays in Europe. People tell me he's pretty good. And apparently he has a few days within which he can negotiate a contract with an MLS team. Go ahead and head over to us uh, on a free. So what do you guys think? When is Messi showing up and when do we go meet the plane? Uh, it's not happening, dude. <laughs> That's, he's coming. I, okay. Not to LAFC. No. Okay. So here I have. Okay. So. This can go really, really good or really, really bad, okay? So Lionel Messi is amazing. He is still performing at the highest of highest levels in La Liga and in the Champions League. And, I mean, he's not what he was, you know, a couple of years ago, but he's still dominant, very, very dominant, very, very impressive. If he comes to the MLS and lights it up and just just blows blows every every team out of the water it's going to make our league look really bad it's going to make us make the league look like we are not even close to being a, a league that should be taken seriously so in all honesty i'm not really sure if i want to see Lionel messi come and play in the mls i have i have a couple of comments i think zlatan already did that first of all no but see zlatan but the thing with zlatan though is that he never blew teams out you know what I'm saying? Like he came and he impressed, but he he didn't like Zlatan. To say Zlatan and Messi on the same level, that's I don't I don't agree. I don't. I'm agree not saying that... they're on the same level, but he put lipstick on a pig for two years. Like think about how bad that team really was. It really is. Yeah, but that's and... one team. But he didn't make the league look bad. 
Are you kidding me? He he scored 50 whatever goals in two seasons at like 37. So I think we'll uh, agree to disagree on yeah. this one. Uh, I don't think I don't think I, Europe sees this league yet as like a even like a top 10. No. So I don't think that's even an argument. Maybe maybe you're right about the American consumer. I agree with you on that. But globally, like I don't think people in Europe are looking at I'm going to MLS to continue my career for it to be at the top of my level. They're coming here because it's still very competitive. There's atmosphere and there's money to be made, right? So I think that's that's what the option is. And I do think Messi is coming regardless of, of uh, what he's saying. He's already trashing the Barcelona front office like this this during this winter break. He had an interview where he was talking about what Valverde, the previous president, all the broken promises, he kind of said it without saying it, right? Who is the person doing this? And he's had an interview in the summer. So I think Citigroup, who owns Man City and owns a big piece of New York City FC, has a sweetheart deal for him. And I think when he becomes a free agent this summer at $0, I think he's going to sign with Man City, be part of the tail end of Pep's tenure there, probably for a year or two. And then a part of that contract is going to be being able to transfer to New York City FC like Lampard did, be part of that team, and probably going to get, or if I was his agent, I'd negotiate a piece ownership at minimum of that team or being guaranteed part ownership of a new franchise um, or being part of Inter Miami. Like This is what I would do if I was him, and I think the groundwork and the rumors have already been laid out in global football. And he doesn't want to be in Barcelona, and he's not going to play anywhere else in Spain. He has a couple more years in Europe, and I think he should go to the Premier League, dude. So then he also stops the rumors of being compared to Ronaldo, where you're a one-league person. Ronaldo played in England. He played in Spain. Now he's killing in Italy. Now you can say, I played in the Premier League. And if he wins another Premiership with City, he puts another checkmark next to the comparison dialogue that is ongoing. So... That's what I'm I foresee you, happening. I'm going to tell you right league. now, bro. City is not winning another Premier League championship, bro. Liverpool, bro. I'm <laughs> telling you. I'm telling you. It's not happening. Uh, that was a very eloquent and well thought out response to what was a completely silly question. Uh, no, Messi is not coming. Uh, we already have a 10. Sorry. We're good. I'll keep Vela. There were some other ludicrous names thrown around there. Antoine Griezmann not happening this year. Diego Costa. Please, please no. Please no. I cannot stand that human being. There's just a burning dumpster where his heart should be. So I, I really hope that doesn't happen. What about you guys? Have any other rumored signings out there that have piqued your interest, boys? Not, not rumored. I like think I there said. was talk about the uh, America outside back as well, too. I'm drawing a complete blank DeAndre, on his name at the moment. DeAndre Yedlin. <laughs> Yedlin one of them is, uh, Paul, Paul Aguilar uh, from America. I think he, he is leaving America. Oh. Um, for sure but i don't know if he's coming here and i think he'd be pretty expensive and he's also i mean he'd be a good experienced player but i'd rather have mr moon at 25 on the same side as as moon kwan yeah i'd rather have him at 25 yeah. and having a yeah. 30 plus year old so it sounds like we moved on yeah all right so that sort of wraps us up for what we thought about you know, maybe rumored signings coming forward. But speaking of rumors, oh, it's not even much of a rumor. MLSPA has released a statement saying that it looks like MLS owners are going to back out of the CBA that was agreed to last year 
uh, based on a force majeure clause in response to COVID-19 and the financial loss that ownership has taken. So that's the grumblings we're hearing that ownership wants to go ahead and back out of the CBA based on a financial loss they took. And MLSPA seems to be very frustrated about that, that their current collectively bargained agreement could be nullified and we could be back to a potential lockout slash strike. Who knows? No games. What are your guys' thoughts on the ongoing tension between the Players Association and the owners? Do you guys have a stance in this? Do you have an opinion on it? Or is it one of those, I'm just going to sit back and watch it play out kind of things? Whatever we say, the ownership and the player association are going to do whatever they decide they're going to do. You know, do you understand on, I understand on one hand, why management, you know, ownership is saying that because at the end of the day, it's all about dollars for them. And the player association is upset because at the end of the day, their mission is to give the best uh, working conditions and benefits for their players. And, you know, they, nobody wants to take less money. So I get it. I get both sides. You know me, I'm a union man myself, dude. Always, always pro labor. So I back I back the players, the players association on this one for sure. I think this is math problem, right? As long as the owners show what really is going on or they have an amicable discussion with with the union, I think that union has to concede some, right? They need to keep a proportion of what they negotiated. But if revenues are down as such, I think it makes sense for an agreement to be had with what the situation is like you can't come to an agreement to terms they could have been projections but the projections didn't account for a covid-19 economy right so i think that has to mean be rethought and just have a good faith conversation amongst the owners and the the union and it, it sucks because no one wants to make less money for sure and um but also owners don't want to invest in kind of eat it either right so it's a lose-lose if they don't come to an agreement because not only will most fans not be able to go to a stadium if it's not even on tv then what are we talking about here you know like we want this game to grow they need to figure it out so i've heard a lot of differing opinions on this some people feel like this is just a posturing move from mlspa that they're really just trying to get out in front of what could be happening to make sure that ownership knows they're in for a very public fight if they do choose to go this route. I've heard people speculate that this is just ownership trying to protect themselves from what could potentially be yet another season without fans. So I think there, there's a lot of different pieces to it, and so much of it depends on what the economic landscape of football looks like in 2021. You know, Look, there's so much up in the air at this point. We're so far from an actual decision being made that I think it's a bit much to speculate on at this point. But it is interesting. I, I would say that in any fight of owners versus players, I'm probably always going to take the side of players where where those things are prudent, because without the players, the owners are nothing. They can own all the teams they want, but they have to employ the best players in the world. And we have to create a league that attracts players from around the world. So in that regards, you have to have good relationship between the owners and the players if you want to convince people who are looking at this from the outside that, hey, this is this is something I want to join. And right now, I mean, if I'm a player in South America looking at MLS and I see this ongoing fight between the players and owners every single year, I'm probably a bit apprehensive to join at that point. 
So that to me definitely is a, is the scariest part of this is the potential of there being a lockout and we don't actually have games, which is the worst possible thing for everyone involved. But also just, you know, changing that ability to get those future players to come and join us. That's definitely something that I would be concerned about as well, too. But we'll see how it plays out. Obviously, we will continue to pass along our thoughts on this story as it develops. On that South American point, in terms of the union stuff, I think you bring up a good point. But they don't even have unions. And there's teams that don't even pay up, right? So the fact there's a structure here and a union, like these are things that Liga MX players have been trying to fight for for decades. So this is one of the knocks that their own commentators talk about. So... I think that there, the fact that there's conversations and open dialogue between owners and our union is a good thing. Um, I'm with you that I want the union to get as much out of it as possible because it is millionaires against, you know, by and large, thousandaires. Like, there are not a lot of millionaires in the, in the players. So I want the players to hold strong, but also I think they, there has to be a recognition that there's going to have to be some some sort of a concession, is my opinion. At the same time, I do hope that the league takes this opportunity to think for future planning and have some sort of fun to be able to cope with something like this, like some sort of slush fund if there is another pandemic that everyone is paying into to be able to keep everyone afloat or at the very minimum keep agreements intact. That was actually what I was going to ask, Christian. You know, So I know that there are leagues in South America and um, other countries that may not have it, but what about like the, the the big five? You know, the in Europe, do they have? Like, I don't know if it's just because football is such a intrinsic part of their culture that to have something like a strike would never even be on the table. But does a country like England, Germany? Do they have these kinds of arguments with ownership and stuff like that where they is a potential for them to not have games? I don't know if they have unions or not, but you have to think about they have an entirely different system where there is no salary caps either, right? Let's say you're in Schalke and for whatever reason management doesn't want to pay you, you can just go to Dortmund and if they pay you more, you just go over there, right? Or to Munich. So it's, it's just different. And then there's so much more competition, right? You can go to the next country and get paid. It's different. I think it's a good structure that MLS has a union because the contracts in Liga MX are very much... There's a lot of handshake dealing. Like Sometimes you can't leave a team because owners will blackball you because they're all friends, dude. Or you, they'll put an outrageous price for you to go to Europe so that you actually won't go. Like That's been a huge criticism, which... MLS is forcing their hand to do now because South American players are coming here more now because they know they can move on versus going to Mexico. So I think there's different mechanisms in Europe that keeps them honest from a labor perspective versus what the U.S. traditionally does. And it's because the leagues here are designed to have parity versus in Europe where it's mostly competition. All right. Well, I think that about wraps us up for today's show. On our next couple episodes, I think we're going to kind of go player by player through the roster and give our grades and thoughts on their season in retrospective. But I think this was nice to kind of say hello to 2021 with some look at what's in the landscape of Major League Soccer, particularly through an LAFC perspective going forward. 
Uh, so thank you, boys, for joining us tonight. Appreciate you. Good talking to you guys, as always. Fun stuff tonight. I like it when we have episodes where we disagree. I think that it kind of feels a little bit more to the fire. I feel like on a lot of these shows, we're like, here's my opinion. And everybody else is like, oh, well, yeah, I have the exact same opinion. So <laughs> it makes it, you know, it's a little nicer when we get to go back and forth a little. I love it. I do want to give a quick shout out uh, over to Heart of LAFC, uh, who also did sort of their awards episode. There was a lot of love for our show on that particular episode. So thank you to everyone at Heart of LAFC. We absolutely love that show, particularly to Jason and Joseph, who gave us some shout outs on there. Thank you, boys. We love you. We love the new format that they've gone with. I think a lot of us thought when Jerry stepped down that, you know, we were very interested to see what happened to Heart of LAFC. And since, you know, Zach has taken the mantle there, they've really gone in a great direction. And I'm really digging the content that they're putting out. So as always, support the whole pod fam. We're a big fan of all that. There's a couple new Spanish podcasts out there as well, too, in addition to Somos and Dali that are out there for people to check out. I believe it's, forgive me with my terrible Spanish, LAFC Sin Filtro, I think is what it's called. But as always, forgive me for my terrible Spanish. But that's definitely worth a check out if you, uh, you know, hablo de Espanol. But with that, I think that'll call it an end to our first episode of 2021. First of many, hopefully. It's been good talking with you boys. Good to get back in the swing of this. We definitely have some fun interviews lined up. As always, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can hit us up on social media at LAFCS2S. Uh, we still have some of our limited edition Think Watch scarves available for our gold scarves. To the LAFC Foundation charity, we have some of the original gray scarves as well, too. You can always hit us up on our social media if you're interested in any of that merch. But, boys, if you have anything else to add to the show, we'll call it a wrap. No, that's it, man. Everybody have a good new year. Uh, be safe, you know, and uh, keep the eye on the prize. We'll get through this together and just keep doing what you feel like you got to be doing to keep yourself and your family safe. And, you know, hopefully we get to all see each other again soon. So please join us next week where we go through the roster. Uh, we are also going to touch on a topic we missed, which is perhaps that return to stadium plan as well, too, as we get some more information on that going into the rest of 2020. But in the words of old Lang Syne, take the cup of kindness then and drink today's gone by. Happy New Year, everybody. On behalf of Chris, Christian, sound engineer Wilton and myself, thank you for listening to today's episode. And take us home, sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together, this our culture. Fill the force up a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.